It's time to get your shit together with the Gist of It podcast with your host, Chris Piercy. Hi there and welcome to the Gist of It podcast. My name is Chris Piercy and uh, joined today uh, by uh, Rackley Nolan, who first and foremost is my cousin. I'm going to blow your mind right now, Rackley. I, well, you're not, you're not actually my cousin. I always, since I first met you, have been called you, called you my second cousin. You're not my second cousin. You're my first cousin once removed. Didn't know that. Um, let, uh, let... Yeah, no, the, the terminology is something that I've always been unaware of. It's always been cousin as easy, and then I thought it was second cousin. Apparently not. Incorrect. Incorrect. Apparently. I, I found this out recently. Mind blown. <laughs> uh, and, and, and aside from being my cousin, uh, Rackley is uh, a thoroughly decent bloke. He's a Kiwi, uh, the, the, as in from New Zealand, not the flightless bird. Uh, or the fruit. Or the fruit. <laughs> of, of, of the three, he is only one of them. Um, and he's a well-traveled gentleman. And he's created a mental health app called bravely so we're going to be talking about all sorts of different things um first off how are you doing buddy thanks chris yeah i'm doing pretty well actually it's uh i'm currently in singapore so that's where i'm living at the moment with my wife melissa um, who's actually the co-founder of bravely as well um, but yeah, for a Thursday, it's, it's not been too bad. It's raining today, so it's not too hot here, given that we're on the equator. Um, but, but doing well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, I thoroughly enjoy doing the podcast and uh, got a lot of different things that we want to dive into today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Bravely, tell me, uh, tell me first off how the idea of doing it like, came about. Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. So we've been working on it for a little while now and there have been many iterations in terms of our approach and what we thought would uh, be a useful solution. The, the origin essentially is, is that um, my wife, Mel, she was a product designer, a UX UI designer for a decade or so and, and ran an agency and dealt with thousands of clients um everything from from banking and shopping and all that but there was never a mental health app and for 10 years of running a company dealing with lots of startups across you know around the world really she was fully remote so it was any client anywhere there was never a mental health company and um mental health for her had been something that's always been a struggle and this essentially problem straight away and and uh her looking for a new solution I was like well, why isn't there a mental health app out there and um it was something that we just sort of started looking into and everything that was out there was just calm or headspace which are great apps and have huge followings but while they may deliver a service that helps people with their mental health they're not a mental health focused app so uh, when we talk about doing a mental health app, we're talking about holistic evidence-based content. And that's really bringing the things that um, you actually have to put a lot of research into finding. There's dozens and dozens, hundreds, thousands of uh, people researching the ways that our day-to-day life affects us um, and publishing these papers. But 
for most of us who struggle with our mental health, we don't see these little solutions. So we're really working on exposing better content for more people and helping them track the habits day to day, the things that are affecting them. It's, so it was, carry on. Yes, yeah, so, so it, it's, I think the view on mental health has evolved in the last decade, um, but it does still feel like it's very taboo in some circles. And it's, and it's astounding that there aren't more of them because when you think mental health app, it is, like you said, calm and headspace are the ones that people think of. And whilst there's some good content on there, it's mainly about listen to this and relax, which... Yeah. I've used, I've used both of them and it's helped, but it's not, it's like going, here's a screwdriver that, and now go and fix everything in your house. Even the stuff yeah. got, uh, that is nails that need knocking and an Allen keys that need turning yeah. and etc. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's astounding. There, there isn't more of it. So. Yeah. And the, the taboo thing is something that is yeah still very much there but it's been incredible seeing the shift in the last two years during the pandemic just the amount of people who are being far more vocal about it and open to talking about it and engaging with it um and there's been a huge shift in how people are perceiving mental health it's still very much a stigma so there's a there's kind of layers of it like people are talking about it a lot more frequently but that doesn't mean that they are willing to be vulnerable and willing to step up and say that actually this has been really hard for me because of these reasons. Whereas people are a lot more for now in some circles willing to say uh, mental health is a big issue and we should be careful with people's mental health and we should consider these things. It's never, it hasn't quite got to the stage where it's very personal yet. Yeah. What I find what triggered in my brain and as, as you were talking to Sam was the fact that there are so many people out there who are very happy to complain about everything, but a very, a very sort of small percentage of them will actually then go on to say about mental health in any way. They'll complain about their ex. They'll complain about their money situation. They'll complain about life. They'll complain about their job. They'll complain about their circumstances. Um, kind of vocally, you know, mum's at school, you overhear it, you know, just, just walking and that, that's kind of all you hear, those types of conversation. But you know that no one's really going, oh, okay, so are you speaking to anyone about this? Are you... You know, are you taking mm. any medication? Are you seeing a therapist? Are you, you know, what are you doing about this? Like people go, no, 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 I just want to complain. I don't, I don't want a solution. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I, I just want to whinge at someone. But that's uh, that idea of linking it to mental health seems to just be missing. Yeah. And there's a huge amount of things there. I mean, to start with, the, the person needs to recognize that they are finding fault with someone else for an internal reason and then secondly other people also need to know actually this isn't just about that person this is about you and and some people recognize that some people will recognize that subconsciously and some will recognize it a lot more consciously and then the the third layer that's arguably the hardest one to break is that people have to step up and say but how's that making you feel and how are 
how are you responding to that and that's that's the tipping point that will begin to change things is when people are actually able to start opening up to each other and say yeah that's great i, I hear that and that's really frustrating but what about you how you how you doing yeah and i guess that's a yeah, when I use an example of mums at school, that's not the kind of time and place for all of it. Yeah. But it's like, it's 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 funny when the, the classic, you know, British thing is like, oh, how you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? And it's, it's ha- classic. Ha- how are you doesn't mean how are you. <laughs> it's yeah. it means this is the words I say. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like when you you learn French and you just go ça va ça va. Uh, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's like, you're right, yeah, I'm all right. It's like, and then it doesn't ever go any deeper than that. It's uh, that's a, a Kiwis do that as well. So I'm, yeah, very, very aware of that. Probably everyone does it, but it's it's a reflex, right? So someone will say, "Hey, doing? Yeah, good, thanks." Without even stopping and thinking, "How are you? You know, what's happened in the last two hours? What's happened in the last twenty four hours? What's happened in the last seven days that actually affects you?" Um, and it's such an instinctive response. Um, and people are aware of that, I, I guess, uh, especially if you drill into how you're answering that question, but it can never be accepted as, oh, but they said they're fine. They must be doing all right. Yeah, I, I guess it's a, yeah. it's, it's, it is very much a time and place thing. Um, so with regards to the app and taboo how how are you attacking that how are you trying to change things yeah it's uh it's something that is extremely difficult to change across everyone's different perspectives and our goal has been with the app has been predominantly twofold so we have two primary features um one is tracking so we track uh it's just a, a little simple survey not quite a survey but a little series of factors during the day sleep activity uh social stress and self-care and this is just how you're feeling about these things um, and people will just answer those quick little questions they get a little report based on what they've answered and a range of suggestions to help them improve on it um, and so to start with that little check-in each day is a it's a very mindful self-assessment. It's it's taking stock and stopping and taking stock of these things that play huge roles in impacting our mental health every day. I mean, we all know that sleep plays a big part and stress can hugely impact our mental health, but none of us really stop every day and take 60 seconds to go, it doesn't even take that long, 30 seconds to go, how am I doing across these different factors? We just carry on with our day. Um, and then so the things that people are struggling with uh, rather than it just being about showing it on a graph we we pop up a series of suggestions so if you struggle if if you report having nightmares during the night we've got some examples of nightmare protocol that can help deal with nightmares if uh, you're struggling with stress at work maybe it's financial stress um, pop up some suggestions saying hey here's how you can sort of reframe some of your perspective and take stock of it social same ways to reach out to more people that kind of thing um, and that's the the track side of, of content that is very responsive to what people want the other side is the content side and this is a a very in-depth process we go on with creating 
um, these guidebooks under each topic. So uh, for example, we've got one in there on anxiety, we've got sleep, uh, introduction to therapy, um, got one just about to release work at boundaries uh, and work-life balance. And there is a huge amount of content out there uh, on the internet, but we have to we have to work really hard to go through Google and find the things that are actually both relatable, both aren't too cluttered with ads, things that are engaging, um, and things that are real and referenced. And that was a crucial part for us, is making sure the content we're putting out is referenced. Um, so we've got a team of psychologists and neuropsychologists working together, pulling together resources, uh, and writing it out in very short, bite-sized chunks, just focusing on a little subtopic of whatever that topic is and saying, you know, okay, you go to bed at 2 a.m. and you wake up at 10 a.m., that's fine. You know, that's okay. We do that as well. Uh, and in fact, this many people around the world do that as well. Um, whereas there's so much societal pressure to go, go to bed at 10 p.m., wake up at 7 a.m., um, and we're really putting a lived experience as well as the uh, referenced research to make, make these topics a lot more personable and a lot more uh, engaging and the, the reality of it for people as well as ways that they can get better. Yeah, I think that's, you know, obviously there's a huge amount of research out there with regards to mental health. But mm -hmm. like you, you said earlier, you know, people don't really see that. And if they were to see it, it's, you know, it's, it's academic studies with academic jargon and yeah. you know probably 10 to 20,000 words and there'll be a hypothesis perhaps at the start and then at the end they'll kind of say what they found and if anyone was to read through all of it they would probably be none the wiser about anything anyway because it's not it hasn't been written for them it's been written for yeah. other academics to look at the study and then maybe reference it so the fact that you're teaming up with therapists to go well what does that actually mean make that into uh, manageable bite-sized chunks that people are going to understand no matter what their level of education you know that's um that's a that's a huge step forward i think yeah and for me this was the this was the biggest part that i sort of really saw in starting bravely is i come from a um granted not a not a psychology background but a, a science background um and at university i was always really interested in the science communication work that was being done with different academics how they communicate the work that they're doing with the public. And this was specifically around things like climate science um, and environmental science. And it's, it's how you get the, the distilled facts in people's face to a way that they go, oh, that's really interesting, rather than boring them to death with all the jargon, uh, which is really easy to do when you're publishing a paper, not just for the thing that is useful for people, but the scientific process is about documenting everything that went on before that little nugget of insight. So we take a look at the whole paper and, and, and filter out the things that are 
not necessarily reliable based on possibly using a, a poor technique and, and focus on the nuggets that are actually valuable and, and pluck them out and mix them up with a really nice tone and, and keep it conversational with people because these should be conversations that are easy to have and, and we're trying to start them as much as we can. Yeah, I think that tone thing is really, really important because, you know, as you well know, that with, uh, with just coaching, I write an awful lot of blogs and I record the podcast episodes and every single blog that I write, um, I just talk basically. I, I write it as if I'm sat in a room with you and I go, right, okay, well, when this happens, it's really nice to actually consider doing this, blah, 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 and just do it really off the cuff, keep jargon to a minimum. Like, there's no place for that when you're just trying to, there's no place for jargon or technical talk when you're trying to just convey a point. It's what's important is that the other person understands that information. They just don't need to try and impress them by using longer words or whatever. It's just, here's a great technique, which is really going to help you right now. If you can understand it and put it into practice, go for it. You know, it's, um, it, it's that. So what's the, um, what's the feedback been like from your, from the, the users of the app we've had some really really great feedback um people sort of writing saying that they're in tears with uh just how validating um our approach has been to talking about these things and that's very much the uh laying out the reality of these issues that you know webmd may take an approach that's like 20 percent face this kind of anxiety and this is the symptoms and this is how you can deal with it um we are really trying to just make it very much like oh i struggle with this kind of anxiety and it feels like this and this is how it affects me every day and this is how i deal with it and it's it's that conversation that people are really like oh my god this is just so validating and this is so um encouraging in how i'm gonna deal with this going forwards um it's interesting a key thing yes it's interesting that that's a big part of it because you're you're almost saying that the anecdotal stuff for people is really really helpful alongside also providing stuff which is not anecdotal at all it's very much evidence-based so it's um it's a nice two-pronged attack i guess that because that that is i i've been in really dark places in my life um depression mainly depression anxiety self-harm at one stage and you do honestly feel like you're the only person who could possibly feel as bad as this like no no one else feels like this no one else cuts themselves no one else does any of this like so to to have an app on your phone that it's gonna sound corny as fuck but have an app on your phone that feels like it cares about you you know that's quite something yeah i mean we 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 are all so invested in this like you say the app cares well the people making the app fuck, we, we we so care and, and everybody is so like overjoyed when the positive feedback comes through because we are sharing our own personal experiences in the creation of the stuff um, and hearing from people who look at it and go, this is really validating. It's like, 
yes, that means that, you know, not only are you enjoying hearing my perspective, I'm enjoying hearing your perspective, that that resonates with you. It's, it's validating in, in both ways, uh, both for the work that we've done, but great to hear that they are validated in, in their struggles. Um, and that little thing you said about how people feel like they're the only ones struggling with it, that is just, that is such a fundamental part of the issue because people are not, if we're not talking about it, people are not aware that actually, you know, the person you hang out with every two weeks, maybe go for a coffee or down the pub, they're actually facing exactly the same struggles that you are, but neither of you is just letting down the wall enough to reveal it. And if we both got our walls up, it's incredibly isolating and we're both going to continue to think that we're the only ones facing that issue. And no one ever is. That's, that's the thing is that no one else, no one is, is, is the only one struggling with that issue. There are so many people facing exactly the same demons and the same difficulties. Uh, and part of the, the pain that, that blocks that as well is, is not, not being able to express how you're feeling. And as a result, people aren't able to respond and necessarily empathize the same way because they're not adept at communicating how they feel. So when you, you share and, and you feel like someone's not listening to you or, or not understanding, in many ways, either you haven't clearly expressed it, which is it takes time. That's why therapy is a thing. It takes time to express how you're feeling. But also it's an incredibly difficult challenge for someone to respond and empathize in a way that is very accepting and validating. And if everyone is not talking about the stuff, no one is practicing these skills. Yeah, that's deep, man. So <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, 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 it's absolutely right. And I think that when often when you're doing, if you're not doing therapy and you're not talking to people about it, then you're very unlikely to even be having a conversation with yourself about it. You're probably just there stuck in the problem. Um, and you just kind of circle the problem. You go round and round yeah. and round it, just kind of pointing yourself at the problem, not knowing how to talk about it in a different way certainly not aware of any kind of solution so yeah mm. it's um it's tough i mean you, you've um alluded to kind of having kind of mental health problems like yourself in the past i mean obviously bravely wasn't a thing what how did you deal with stuff back back then yeah um, or, and, and moving forwards i guess and moving forwards yeah, so for me, um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had a, I mean, a reasonably good upbringing. Um, everyone has difficult aspects to it, but uh, for me, I certainly picked up my coping strategies and my ways of managing how I was feeling reasonably quickly, um, which was always being sort of activity, outdoor stuff, whether it's mountain biking or um, something in the ocean or, or hiking or something. Um, to me, I really clicked onto that quite early and that has become an easy release 
uh, self-centering exercise, de-stressing exercise. Uh, and in, in working through Bravely, you know, what we're talking about this mental health stuff every day, um, it's been incredibly interesting how many of us are really exploring and improving our, our mental health so rapidly just by talking about it so much. But one of the other things that for me has been a, very valuable has been recognizing that I have been incredibly fortunate to have isolated what works for me quite quickly. Um, and like I remember my teenage years, if I was feeling you know upset or a little bit uncomfortable, anxious, maybe depressed, it was very easy to just know that I could get on my mountain bike and I could be feeling better within, you know, 90 seconds of leaving the house. It's just like straight on, pedal on fast, and that feels better. Um, and that came a real teenage years, especially mountain biking was something I did a lot of because it was just such a instant reward, basically, in terms of improvement. Um, and so that's that's always been my, my roots in terms of my self-care and, and improving. Um, in no way has it been easy. There's been a lot of aspects that are continuing to struggle with and continue to work on. Um, uh, dealing with low self-worth for a long time um, and dealing with going through very difficult times. So two years ago now, just over two years ago, um, Mel was actually diagnosed with leukemia. Um, very rapid uh, life-threatening i mean that's one of the most fucked up things i've heard like the the whole situation with that you know from a, on a kind of knowing kind of personally level just like she felt a bit run down went to hospital you got <laughs> you by the way you've got leuke leukemia that was yeah that was yeah I mean, is that am i remembering that wrong or was that more or less what it was that was it we were we were in New Zealand. Had been so she's from Singapore. Um, and we were in New Zealand. We'd been there for five months. Um, had just sort of come off the back of spending some time traveling together. And we come to New Zealand. We're sort of uh, staying put for the winter to go go skiing and snowboarding. What she does and what I do. Um, and we had been staying up the mountain or, or near the mountain trying to trying to get up the field the week before and she just two weeks before she just felt really low energy and really crap just very wiped out and we were working really hard on bravely those the initial stages of bravely and working really hard on that we thought we were just overworked and stressed um she didn't scale she did two runs the entire week um went back home and started to develop a sore throat on the way down and it didn't get better after a few days. It was at the point where she was struggling to kind of to eat anything, certainly. Um, very, very bad sore throat. Went to the doctor, antibiotics, 36 hours or so, they weren't working. So it was midnight on a Saturday, we drove to the emergency department, which um, you never want to go to the emergency department on a Saturday night because it's always full of knuckleheads um who have had too much uh and because it was a sore throat we waited for 
don't know, eight hours or something. Um, they took a blood test by chance. And before they told us, they ran in to check that we hadn't left the room three times, at which point we knew that there was something that was up. Um, and she developed leukemia that, you know, her immune system was basically just completely shot and she was unable to fight off the, the infection. Um, but it had developed to a point where, uh, it developed to a point where, you know, if it had have been a day or two more, likely would have had some form of uh, organ failure or, or something because her blood was 98% white cells, um, which was just incredibly overrun. That basically they, the specialist came in and said, you've got leukemia, uh, we're about to stick a, a thick-sized straw into the artery in your neck and we're going to suck your blood out and clean all the, the bad cells out. It's like, you know, we need to get on this within a matter of hours, otherwise it's not going to be recoverable. And it, it was a very fast-paced seven days after that, one that included a uh, totally by chance full anaphylaxis reaction to a, a, a plasma um, transfusion she was getting that was like effectively the, the equivalent of having a snake bite. It was like her blood was coagulating in response to just something that was in the plasma by chance. Like I think it was a 0.02% chance of having or 0.002% chance of having a reaction. And, and she got on her first plasma um, and I was sitting by the bedside and she's in writhing agony um, and the room fills up with crash cart and uh, emergency department staff. And yeah, I thought she was about to die in that, that was that first 48 hours. Um, and that's, the, I mean, that's the sort of thing that's just, how do you even begin to process that sort of thing. I mean, it's the, I guess you just do because <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I really had a, a concert. I've been a concerted effort throughout to, to be the, the stable support for it and was very lucky in those, that initial period that. Um, it was in New Zealand. I had my family around. Um, they were great. My mum was there uh, almost the, uh, the, the same day that she was diagnosed. And um, my, my dad and my sister had been away and they came back and they were always checking in on me that, that first month. Um, and that was really, really good to have them there. But because she's a Singaporean citizen, we were there with her on a visitor's visa it was all uncovered um, treatment and we had to fly back to Singapore. And so um, since, since the start of November 2019, we've been in Singapore with the, the main goal of, of getting her treatment and she had to have a, uh, two more rounds of just sort of like maintenance chemo. Um, and then one very heavy scorched earth sort of dose that killed everything in her bone marrow before a stem cell transplant. Um, 
and so yeah the, the, what i'm saying is is have been here in singapore without that family support system and um it has certainly been a real test to maintain i guess that that support strength um, and then lockdowns just oh, and, to, and yeah just and then throw that in the mix oh, which, God. <laughs> yeah it's like yeah your, your main this is one of the things that's you know entirely different but i've kind of struggled with is that the one of my mental health things that helps me is a good workout like just mm. go out feel the burn but having horrific back issues as you well know yeah. it's like you go yeah you can't do the working out thing anymore um you can't go out and you can't go swimming anymore for now you know it's like so having that taken away from you like because you know you're i guess in not so much mountain biking in singapore but you know skating was your thing wasn't it so as a response it was yeah yeah like man so ridiculously tough and you know before we before we started recording you said that the something quite poignant is that for everyone else um the cancer diagnosis just gets forgotten no not for gets forgotten about but just gets forgotten about it's, but for it's, you it's day a in, reality day of people yeah yeah and it's not people being oh doesn't matter about that anymore it's like no no like yeah she was diagnosed with that and she had all this and that and oh that's sorted now no no still i mean you were saying before you you were she's still taking drugs which you're supposed to handle with gloves because they're toxic and she has to take them yeah. every day like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean it, it's it's been something that i have had to I guess recognize in people and that uh, firstly I, I don't know I don't know whether it's it can it can very much seem like it's a uh, don't care thing because people aren't checking and when you're at your worst um, the reality is it's also very difficult for anyone to do anything especially when you're living halfway around the world um, but it's just the nature of, of people. I've kind of come to realize that it becomes a peripheral thing. Um, and for you, it's the, it's the, you know, complete existence, uh, dealing with this problem. Um, and it takes very, very determined people to remain and, and be supportive throughout that. Uh, which can be really difficult going through those kind of things. Um, just how how isolating it is, and I mean, it's extremely foreign thing for everyone to be going with. And I said it to you as well. It's something that everyone is going to experience, and in, in, I mean, yeah, adjacent perhaps, but <laughs> it's an aspect of life. Everyone's going to have a loved one die at some point. It's more or less unavoidable. Um, mm. And you know, well, not even die, but just go through some sort of horrific hardship because you know it was touch and go for for 
a long while, wasn't it? And just constantly mm. in hospital. And you know, I was messaging her for like quite frequently when she was just there in bed in hospital and just <laughs> like halfway around the world just going, I have literally no fucking idea what to do, but I'm just gonna <laughs> send some messages, send some photos of like my girls over and just kind of go, um, this is shit. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the reality of it. Like is that sometimes like it's not about silver linings. It's not about toxic positivity. It's just like, yeah, I'm in a really shit situation right now. And I'm yeah. I'm gonna just take it as you know I've spoken before on the podcast about post back surgery it being so painful I was taking one second at a time because that's how I had to deal with it um and kind of that's how when you're faced with these sorts of things I think that's sometimes how you've got to do it just not getting for the next hour just the next one minute let's just find the resolve to get through a shorter period of time as I need to <laughs> need to get through because i guess on this to, to a certain extent of all of that you were carrying her mental health as well uh i mean certainly doing a lot to try and maintain how she's feeling and then respond to to what she needs um it's you know we've, we've uh, in terms of our relationship we've come a, a huge way just in uh, in the last two years certainly but but even more so in the last year like you look at where we were at I look back at where we were at in terms of um, I guess kind of connectedness and understanding uh, when that diagnosis came through and and we'd spent a year and a half traveling together which is all you know that's big life testing stuff to be traveling together and doing things, but it is certainly not difficult and incredibly uh, endurance requiring test of a relationship. And just the amount of uh, growth that we've done as a couple in the last two years, I just feel like it's uh, accelerated a great deal. And, and, a lot better now than I was there then and in, in helping respond to what she needed. But yeah, in, in many ways, you know, I, I came here to support. So my everything, my my full-time job was was caring and managing. So yeah, if it came to physical health or mental health, whatever I could do, I was I was there to help. So can you put into words what because I think that you know, some people are in relationships and they just kind of trudge. You know, they they live together, they get on well, but you know, they don't have that level of connection. Perhaps people want that level of connection. Can you put into words what it obviously kind of you say, oh, it's kind of forged in the fire because it's just you know it's a difficult time. But how do you attain that? How did you attain that level of kind of affinity within the relationship? Do you think? Um, uh, it's difficult for me to say this is the cheat sheet um, 
<laughs> uh, get cancer. Uh, yeah, no, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so, <laughs> I don't think they sell uh, it in the local supermarket anyway. So I think you're probably. Oh, safe. they do. I get some cancer sticks. I get some. Oh yeah, good point. It's a <laughs> it's a sl- um, slow burn that one. That's a yeah. It takes a long time. Um, uh, how did we get there? It's, it's communication. You know, that's I guess what I kind of talked about before in terms of empathizing and understanding what people are going through um and it's one thing to empathize understand and support your friend who's going through you know everyone's got different levels of of friends and connections it's one thing to support perhaps a a good friend maybe not a best friend but a good friend with something and you're kind of you, you check it in every so often um but your main method of supporting is through maybe just a text or a phone call or a hangout um in terms of us for a relationship, I guess the biggest thing has been learning the cues. I think everyone understands um, what cues people may have that uh, signs that they're struggling with something. But it's it's one thing to recognize that someone's struggling and another thing to know how to respond to that person and that often does only come about in terms of talking to them about it and talking to them about what they need Uh, and that's the other side of that issue I was talking about as well they have to say what they need and what they're struggling with Um, yeah I I think that that's one of the things that couples often struggle with is just having the gumption about them just to go yeah when i when this is going on this is what i need um i need this because of this um and a lot of people just go well you should you should know what to do if you love me and like yeah what what, what does no. that even, what what does that even mean that's like no no it's it, how it works yeah like i love you but that doesn't mean i know exactly how your brain works and exactly how to solve a problem if you haven't told me how to solve that problem it's like if that happens do you just need a hug do we need to go out for a walk do we need to you know go to a therapy session do we need to you know whatever it's not just a case of oh you should know if you love me because i I mean i'm i'm saying that kind of half jokingly but that is the sort of thing that people do say You go, well, what the fuck does that mean? Like, it's just. And at the same time, that's a sign that they don't know how to express it as well. Um, yeah. And honestly, a huge part in how I have got to where I've got in terms of being supportive husband well, um, is that. It makes you sound really old, mate. It does make me sound really old. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's. It very much comes from a place of Mel having done the work beforehand. Um, and I mentioned earlier that you know, she spent a, bit of, a lot of time, most of her life, struggling with her mental health. Um, and that involved you know, thousands of dollars worth of therapy and working through problems with a therapist and understanding herself. And I, you know, one of the biggest things that really struck me with her and when we were early early 
dating days was um, just how her emotional awareness and um, so emotional EQ, just, just her in gen general ability to not only communicate how she's feeling, things she's struggling with, but also to understand what others are struggling with and what others probably need to hear and also obviously what, what I need and what I need to hear. Um, and that communication thing, which I said is you know, key for a couple, is really difficult to do without having the tools to self-assess because unless you can self-assess and understand the, the root of, of what you're struggling with, there's no way you're ever going to be able to communicate it to someone. Um, and you mentioned therapy earlier, couples therapy. Um, I think if, if people are struggling with communication, obviously people go to couples therapists for, for communication issues, but it shouldn't be a, like, it's so bad that we need to go to see a therapist. Um, and this is the same for anybody with therapy, really. It shouldn't be so bad that you need to go see a therapist now. Access is an issue there. You know, it's very expensive and difficult an appointment. But if you're able to talk to someone and discuss basic issues and work on communication and not being defensive, and that's something that I've had to work on. I'm very afraid of what she thinks of me sometimes and I'm very quick to get defensive. Um, but breaking those little habits and learning how to listen and learning how to communicate what you need. I think those have been really valuable things to, to learn and for, for others to learn. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to say about the so bad thing is like a lot of people say, oh, I've got to, I, I have really bad anxiety, but um, I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, it's just like, what at what point, at what point yeah. with your like, self-worth issue your self-confidence issue your self-esteem your anxiety your depression at what stage do you is it so bad and basically most people don't have a level in their mind they just have a, a perhaps a denial about the fact that they need to go and have therapy because i think there's certainly a thing of oh if you're having therapy that means that there's something wrong with you it's like well there's something wrong with you even if you don't have therapy therapy just means that you've decided you're going to do something about it um, in reality which is there's something thing. wrong with everyone yeah <laughs> there's um there's uh do you know, do you know uh alan de botton the uh, name rings a bell yeah so he's a kind of modern like philosopher does lots of talks on lots of different things but he talks about um he talks about dating and he says, yes. when I've actually you, read his book, The Course of Love, I think is his. Uh, could, could well be. Um, not, look, look, we'll look it up and find out. And I'll just, I'll just say yes and seem like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but he says that on a, on a first date, you should say to your, the person you're meeting for a date, some, so in what way are you crazy? Yeah. Because ev everyone is, right? Everyone has their, like, their foibles, their idiosyncrasies and just like, yeah, I do this and it's just what I do. Or I think like this. And but you know, a lot of it is malleable, you know, if you want to go and if we're gonna do something about it. It's just the do you think denial's a big thing? 
I mean, there's there's a big thing with, I mean, social media is a whole other issue, but there's a big thing with facades, you know, it's like there's an aspect of not wanting, I mean, certainly you're not going to want to admit it to others if you haven't admitted it to yourself. So there's, you know, you may acknowledge these things in yourself, but that doesn't mean that you acknowledge it to other people. And some people haven't even acknowledged it to themselves and it's certainly not going to make it to a second party. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess there's sort of people that go, yeah, so I, I overthink whenever I have to do this and I get sweaty and I get like stomach cramps and I feel awful about it. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't, don't really have any anxiety or anything. It's just like yeah. people, yeah, people will literally describe every sim symptom of anxiety or low self-worth or whatever, but then follow up with, yeah, but I'm fine, you know because heaven forbid you should go and see a, a therapist or have a mental health app on your phone or whatever <laughs> because that that would mean you're you've uh, failed life or whatever it's uh, yeah. it's i mean it's, it's something that I, I tried to communicate very early on with my clients that it doesn't matter what other people think of you it really like it really really doesn't because if they think badly of you for something like anxiety or even pretty much anything then they're probably not the sort of person you should be around anyway and mm. yeah what's the saying uh, i'm gonna get this wrong now it's like um for for those that matter it won't matter <laughs> Yeah. It's not that, yeah. but I'm going with that. Um it's something along those lines. It's something that's the with flavor. That that's that's the flavor of it. So yeah, just no one really wants to have mental health problems, but most people have them to some degree. Whether that's yeah. a full anxiety thing or whether that's a, just a bit of a situational confidence thing. Or, you know, yeah. whether you have generalized anxiety disorder, you know, it's there's there's different there's different levels of it. I think that's a really important part of the bigger picture is that while well we we talk about mental health being a widespread issue, you know the the official sort of stats that get thrown around a lot is one in four people either sometimes it's are struggling right now or will struggle in their lifetime um that's just i think that's that's just the level to which it either receives attention or people are willing to acknowledge it and people are not willing to acknowledge it and it doesn't always need attention so actually in reality no, I would say the majority of people, the extremely large majority, are struggling with some aspect of something. And it doesn't always need to be going and seeing a therapist. It may just be, you know, un unconscious hesitations to do something, or maybe it's, it's an anxiety that only pops up every so often, but in reality, you know that you've kind of got it under control. But everybody's struggling with a little bit of something of some flavor and maybe it's a mix maybe it's to the point where it needs clinical help but for a lot of people we are not 
all just perfectly existing. And I think that's the thing that everyone needs to know as well is that not everyone is, is perfect and got their life together and not stressing out when they have to go and meet their friends that they haven't seen for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, we said before we started that, you know, you have these moments in your life where stuff happens, you know, not normally your partner getting cancer diagnosis. Uh, what, how old was she? Not even 30? Yeah, 29. 29. Like, not not normally that, but like, when you're born, this is not the shit you sign up for, you know, but you're going to get different flavors of shit sandwiches thrown at you during, during life. Um, and it's, uh, and it's, it's tough and he's going to learn how to, how, how to swallow them. And um, this went off on a complete tangent there, but there's something I wanted to ask about was with regards to you saying that everyone's got stuff that they've got going on and it's not at the point where perhaps you need clinical help with regards to bravely. Is there anything in that where, you know, if you've got, because you call it your bravely climate, don't you? That that was yeah. That's that's essentially the the name. It's kind of your mental health climate. What's mental the state health. that you're running under today? Yeah. So if someone's reporting low everything day in day out, day in day out for a period of time, is there something in the app which kind of goes? Hey, maybe you should, because uh, this seems like it's pretty bad. I mean, because obviously, like you're not a therapist yourself, but you like you said, you're working with uh, a number of different types of therapists. So, is there something within that, or is there kind of general advice about how long do you put up with something being really bad before you know this is not just a blip? This is a thing. Yeah, that was a, that was a moment, very long question for which I <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I followed completely. Um, at the moment, it's very much, you know, we, we've built this um, in hospital stays and during chemo rounds. Um, and only in the last year or so have we had uh, pretty much all part time uh, for, for us and, and one other staff. So we, we have only done a very much minimum effort on it at the moment the the, the daily track the, the mental health climate is a single one day report but down the line we want to be bringing in sort of analytics these little red flags that pop up for things like that that say you know this is a consistently low issue uh, and and flag some of the the ways that people can get help and we we in no way want to be a standalone solution. Um, our, our, our goal with Bravely is to supercharge your therapy. And that is very much taking the approach that people should be talking to a therapist. Things can be great and you can be improving yourself personally and, and taking where you think is 100% to 110% of realization. Um, but you know, if you're only seeing, a, if you're seeing a therapist twice a month, which would be the majority of people who are really needing a therapist, it's still only 0.27% of your time every, of your whole year spent on therapy. And if you're not doing the things in between, then you, your progress is slow. And we're trying to give people the tools to do the progress in between and make the change day to day to help feel better. 
Yeah, I mean that that's the uh, the interesting thing about you know, being a therapist and often getting praise for what I've done for them. It's like, well, you know, if you see me once a week, that's one hour out of 168. Like you're in control of the other 167. So whilst I might be giving you the toolkit or making the suggestions or however metaphorical you want to make it, it's still the responsibility of the clients to do that stuff. I mean, my skill is in recognizing and pointing people in the right direction. But once their call with me ends, they can go and do the exact opposite. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not, it ceases to be in my control and it's very much falls into their control. So it's the, what they what clients put into the hours outside of the therapy session from what they've learned in the therapy session alongside with anything else that they need to do is what's going to be what's going to result in them having better mental health because like you said you're not trying to be like a, a solution to it but because i don't think there is one solution it's like uh with, with antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications like my opinion is yeah cool take it if that's what you feel like you need to do to like level yourself out but i don't feel like it should be your only thing because it's it's i feel like it's a level up it's like something that levels you up but you don't want to be just leveled up to there i should allow you to have a solid foundation to level yourself up with other tools and techniques and i say all of this as someone who isn't medically trained so if you want this disclaimer <laughs> don't just throw away your anti antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication any changes in medication do speak to your uh, your doctor general practitioner type person don't just listen to me i don't know i'm just some guy uh, i uh yeah you i mean you've hit a, hit a point there that is i think quite important in that um there are root causes of issues and education does a lot for a lot of people and it's something that is incredibly powerful and changes millions of people's lives really in, in their day-to-day -day. Uh, and for some people it, it may be the only way to manage these things but for other people there's also a lot of other techniques and, and tools which you can use in conjunction you know in, in addition to and it's uh it's something that's worth exploring with a psychologist. And I say psychologist because if you talk to a psychiatrist, their focus is on prescribing, not all, not everyone, but um, it's the main tool in their toolbox. So question, why? Because Mel had a funny thing about the word brave. Um, so why did the app get called Bravely? Was that decided before? Or I'm not sure what the funny thing you say is, but we we spent we spent a few months figuring out the name. Um, and the original concept was a feature that we currently have taken out of the app, but we are still kind of working on to put back in. Um, the, the original app was called Soothe. And it was essentially focused around soothing distress in moments of need. Um, and so we, we built what we thought should be there and realized that the fit wasn't quite right. Uh, whereas we built these other 
uh, guidebooks and track features and thought, like, let's stick with these. These are really good for now. Let's put the uh, de-escalating one back in when we can develop it further. Um, but we called it Soothe because we wanted to soothe people's distress or anxiety. Uh, but it was just a little too soft in terms of being a solution to improving and developing and becoming a, a better version of yourself. Um, and Bravely came along and, as the name and, and really stuck because you can do something really, really big bravely and, and, and charge forward and like, you know, I'm going to commit myself to making these changes or you can be in your lowest depths of difficulty and struggle and just bravely look for one little thing that can help pull you out. And we, we really liked it as a, as a name that encompasses all different levels of self-development and self-improvement. Yeah, she she wrote uh, an article for Medium, didn't she? About mm. uh, and because obviously she's in hospital, she's getting lots of messages from people. No one knows what to say, and everyone just says, yeah. "Oh, just be brave and fight it." And she, didn't she didn't she make a graph of yeah. uh, her, her, the messages and the words used? And it was just um, yeah, brave just came up over and over and over again. And I remember having quite. Uh, long conversations about how fucking annoyed she got <laughs> with it because he's like, I, I I know they mean well, but it's just the most infuriating thing because it's like I, I'm I'm not being brave. I'm just managing to not die, not through anything else apart from the fact that my body hasn't given up yet, and I'm in agony, and it's everything's awful. I am not being brave. I just. I'm just getting through it. So um, yeah, I, I found it quite ironic that that's how uh, how the um, app ended up being uh, named. But I guess if you understand what bravery is, then bravery now makes a lot of sense as the name. Yeah, yeah, and um, we we did have the name prior to that, but it. Go obviously going through a process like having cancer um, is an incredibly testing period of time and, and a lot of I guess our resolve for working on it and a lot of our um, personal experiences all went into how we've continued to develop it and, and work on it um, but yeah brave and, and being labelled brave and, and bravery uh, there's a whole different psychology there and you know the way that people are trying to be encouraging and the way it's actually received and uh, again it's something that people don't know how to deal with because it's so completely left of field to what our day-to-days -day are yeah like i said it's not not the sort of thing you sign up for and you know and the, and the thing is that you know if if you are someone who has got this sort of thing going on you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have a, a solution to what someone's going through. Like yeah. the most important thing is just to kind of be there. You know, yeah. it, it, even if you're there silently going, 
I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. Just the your presence is uh, more more important than anything else. One of the biggest things that we kind of grew to really, uh, I guess, have a, a bad taste for, left a bad taste in our mouths with, is is toxic positivity and you know the fact that. In the days after she nearly died, um, the uh, hundreds of messages are flooding in of support, which are all so incredibly humbling to receive. Um, but also just the amount of people that say it's going to be okay, everything's going to be all right, you're going to get through this. When actually the doctor is saying, you know, this is extremely life threatening, and your survival rate in two years afterwards is around 60% or something, you know, the chance of relapse, that kind of shit. And it's like, people are incredibly well-meaning and uh, it means a lot to have people trying to send those, you know, I understand the, the sending positive vibes message. Um, you know, it's very much, I'm thinking of you, I care about you. Uh, but I guess the wording around it's, all going to be okay is is very difficult to receive when you know that in reality it's actually you, you might not make it's it through far the next from day. certain <laughs> yeah yeah um, it's people just don't know what to say so they exactly yeah so they, they go with um i want things to be okay so if i yeah. send that then that will uh yeah. that'll improve things it's um, yeah, I don't want to send a depressing message. I want to try and send a positive message. I want to try and help bring them up. And, you know, I, I completely understand that perspective. Um, but it, it was something that was a real struggle for Mel to be receiving, especially when, you know, she was in the, the, the depths of difficulty and just, here, yeah, have some more. It'll be okay messages when you know you don't know what's you don't know if you're coming. gonna make, you don't know what's if you're gonna make it through the next day so like that being said what do you feel like is there's nothing that anyone can say that's actually going to improve things so what do you think is the best thing to send to someone who is experiencing something like that kind of put you on the spot there on the yeah I mean, it does really depend on the people. Some people are going to want to channel all of that positive energy and just have that positive energy. Um, some people will want to just disregard anything the doctors are saying and say, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And it's, I, I can't say there's a, there's a blanket message to send. What I can say though, is that um, asking what people are struggling with and letting them say what's been really difficult. Um, in many cases, people are overwhelmed and don't have a lot of time to write big responses, but the key is empathizing and understanding, or at least listening to them and, and say, yeah, that really sucks. I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. And it's just, trying for a minute to to understand what it feels like for that person because that person's going through something that yeah you don't know how to deal with but that doesn't mean that you have to say that from the first message you can say 
how are you doing? What's been good? What's been bad? And then when it's when it's bad, it's say, hey, I totally understand. This is a total shit fight, shit situation that you're going through. I'm really sorry. So you may or may not remember, but would you say that most of the messages didn't include a question? They were just saying, it's going to be okay, as opposed to what's going on or how can I help or how are you feeling? There was lots of how you can help. Um, most, you know, most people come out of the woodwork. So there's a huge amount of people that reached out that, you know, I may not, I may not have talked to since high school. Um, and, and Mel hasn't talked to since high school. Um, and people who understand that they're not going to be the top of the priority list and say, look, you know, really sorry to hear this. This is messed up. Mm. Um, a lot of people do ask questions. Um, that initial week, you know, I, I could spend hours sitting down typing out responses and only get through part of them. Uh, and for, for the most part, everyone is is very much saying, I'm so sorry, this is, this is horrible. Um, I guess my, my biggest thing was that for us, the, the toxic positivity was a, a little bit of a theme that didn't fall very well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've spoken quite a bit on different videos about how toxic, poverty, toxic positivity is quite damaging. It's yeah. like, yeah, as much as the universe will provide or whatever, you know, or, you know, you get back what you put, you get back what you put out there. So you only put out positive <laughs> stuff. This is like, as much as you may think that there are just sometimes in life where things are really shit. Um, because at some point, everyone is going to die. Uh, and that won't be a positive thing. So you're, you're allowed to have times when you don't fill the world with positivity and my, my my thing that i've i've put out recently and i've been trying to do is to not complain like you don't have to be positive but don't complain about stuff talk about it but talk about it in a solution focused way like mm. that that's the main thing i i go for but then aside from that sometimes things are just really shit so you have to just go this is an awful situation. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm going to be miserable right now because that's the right response. Not constantly, but sometimes. <laughs> no, yeah. have, you, have you seen Inside Out, the Disney Pixar film? Uh, yeah, when it came out, so it's been a while. So I, I think that is one of the most important mental health films that's ever come out. Yeah. Because, I don't know, spoiler alert, but it's been long enough now that... That joy, that joy does not see the point in sadness. She just goes around making everything miserable, and just like throughout the whole thing, she doesn't see what the point in her is whatsoever, and it ends up being sadness, which saves the day because she shows that she's sad. Riley isn't this character that Riley becomes sad, and then that shows that she needs help. So. You know, sadness, being miserable, being depressed, 
mm-hmm. is kind of there for a reason as a kind of signaler to yourself or to yeah. other people that you need help from somewhere. Need to process something. Yeah, absolutely. Grief, yeah. It's, that's the thing. Grief, you need to accept grief in the times when it comes and, and work through it. However works for you. Yeah, grief, that's a that's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. not, not much positivity in there. Let's be, let's be clear about that one. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, right, I have stolen enough of your time. <laughs> uh, um, Bravely is an awesome, awesome thing that you've, you've created. Uh, how do people download it? How do they find out more about it? Elevator pitch, everyone. <laughs> yeah so we are um available on both apple and google uh a search of bravely mental health will land you on our uh, listing on both uh stores uh the alternative is just to go to bravely.io um, and that's our website um you can see a little bit about us and who are the people behind it um and there's a download link there as well as a blog with a few articles to check out. Wonderful stuff. I will link all of that into the show notes so that you can just simply click on some links below. Uh, thank you for your time, Rackley, my brother from another mother. Uh, well, brother from a cousin. No, that doesn't make sense. Just, just stop. <laughs> just, just stop now. Just, just my cousin who I wish, my cousin, my first removed who I wish was my brother. We'll go with that. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Hey, it's been been great chatting with you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, likewise. Much Take care of yourself, and uh, I'll catch you all for another episode soon. Head to justcoaching.co.uk to read blogs, get in touch, or find out more about working directly with Chris to get your shit together. Enjoy today's episode then give us a rating and hit subscribe. To follow us on social media, search for GIST Life Coaching.